0: we're delighted to have you brother timothy You want to come and share a word of testimony to us thank you
1: well can i begin by saying it is a joy and a privilege uh, to be with you tonight i want to thank uh, the reverend mclaughlin not only for the kind words of welcome but also uh, for the invitation to come and be part of your service it was a bit of a struggle in a way to get this date I had a previous date and then everything, and then trying to get off from college, but we're very thankful that everything worked together. And I'm here tonight, and I do rejoice that I have a testimony uh, to give. I want to read two verses with you. You'll find them in the book of Ephesians. They're very well known verses, indeed Ephesians chapter 2, and the verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, the verses 8 and 9, the word of the Lord says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Mm. Let's unite our hearts in prayer just before we come, yeah. please, to the testimony. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we do rejoice this night that we are approaching a throne of grace. It is not a throne of judgment. Rather, it is one that we can come through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and we can lay our petitions at thy feet. That's right. And Father, we, we can testify even with those words <coughs> that we sang at the commencement of this service. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Jesus Nazarene. And I wonder how you could love me, a sinner. a sinner condemned and unclean. Lord, we have to simply put it down to grace. Mm-hmm. Grace, grace, matchless grace. Father, this night has come to give this word of testimony. I pray for that fresh unfilling of Thy Spirit. Yes. I pray for that help from on high that my name and my words tonight may not be those that people remember. Mm. But it will be the word of the Lord. It will be the Spirit applying it to their hearts and opening their eyes and opening their hearts to their great need of salvation. Lord, if there be one in this gathering out right, of Christ, Lord, maybe they've heard the gospel time and time again. Maybe this is the first time ever hearing it. Lord, may tonight, Lord, may they come and cry unto Thee.
0: Mm.
1: Lord, may they have that heart door swung wide open. And Lord Jesus, entering in. Hear and answer our prayer this night. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Lord. As Reverend McLaughlin said, my father was the minister. Reverend Omerod, I had the privilege of being born and being brought up in a Christian home. Let me immediately qualify by what I say is the privilege. By being born and being brought up in a Christian home does not mean that I had a silver spoon. It does not mean that my life was so much better than everybody else's. The privilege is having the word of God opened every day of having godly parents who in morning and evening would open up the scriptures, would read from the scriptures, of having parents that from the day and hour I was born, I have absolutely no doubt were praying for me, praying for my salvation. When the Lord took a dealing in my life and He saved me, then praying that the Lord would keep me and the Lord would watch over and the Lord's will would be done in my life. That's the privilege, the privilege of being born are being brought along Sunday by Sunday to a gospel preaching and a God-fearing church. Mm. You no, know, whenever you're the minister's son, you really don't have much choice, do you? You're going to be in church Sunday morning. You're going to be back Sunday evening. You're going to be at the children's meeting. But that's a privilege. As you'll hear in a little later on in my testimony, it's a privilege which I tried to leave and tried to get away from. I was number three out of five. I like to look at it as I was the peak. After me, it all went downhill. (laughs) My parents, they finished off with twin girls. So you have to say it definitely went downhill very, very (laughs) fast. But I had the privilege, as I say, of being brought in that home. I have an older sister, I have an older brother and two younger sisters. The age gap between me and my brother is just under two years. Whenever you're uh, together that close in age, you spend a lot of time together. You spend all of your days when you get home from school, you're straight outside, you're playing, you're (coughs) playing inside, outside. You've all that time together. And as I was a younger brother, as you do when you're growing up, you look up to your older brother. You think he's amazing until you really get to know him. No, I'm only joking. But I remember one night I came down the stairs and I remember seeing the tears flowing down my brother's face. My brother had come under deep conviction of his sin. And I remember saying to mum, Mum, what's wrong with him? I was very, very young indeed. And she says, he's just conceived. You no, know, I'll never forget that night. But I rejoice I have a night of my own that I will never forget. The of Jan- or 31st of January, 1991. My father wasn't home at the time, but my mother was there. And I can remember going to her and asking and saying, "Mum, will you lead me to the Lord? I want to get saved. Amen. No, there, in our old house, which we lived in, the house that I grew up in, we had an open fire. And I still have one to this day in my home in Balmone. And I love it, the heat that comes off it. But I remember just looking down into the flames. As a young child sitting there beside the fire and looking into the flames and thinking, is that what hell is like? Because I don't want to go there. I don't want to be in flames. Yes, I can sit and look at a fireplace and see flames that after a while they'll go lower and lower as the coal and the wood is burnt up and everything goes away as it were. But in hell those flames continue and continue and continue and they never ever cease. And I cried unto the Lord and the tender age of five I rejoice that the Lord saved me there and then that night oh you can be saved anywhere you can get saved here tonight in the church and it's a wonderful thing to be saved in the church you can get saved at your bedside you can get saved in the living room you can get saved in your car wherever you call on to the Lord he has promised whosoever shall call on to me I will save them no, I was saved at the age of five. The Two primary schools which I went to had a very godly and Christian influence. So I got through my primary school days with relative ease. I remember both primary schools, there was times of devotion, there was times of school assembly when the teachers who were Christians would open up God's word and would teach us from it. So it was very easy to live for the Lord. Then my grammar school days, whenever I moved on after my primary school time, I went to a school with about 900 to 1,000 pupils. And in my year of over 130, I think there was less than five Christians. Now I can remember such was my unease at being a Christian, and this is to my shame. I remember there was a young boy I used to be friendly with at that time, and I was ashamed to tell him that my father was a minister. I didn't want to be set aside. I didn't want to be pointed at and said, Oh, this man's a Christian. This boy's a Christian. His father is a minister, therefore, we're not going to associate ourselves with him. You no, know, as I went through my grammar school days, I started grammar school in 97. 98, of course, was the Good Friday Agreement. All of the things around that, all of the different protests, the yes, the no's and all of that in school. I was known as a staunch DEP. I was known as a staunch Protestant. I was known as a staunch Free Presbyterian, but not one person would ever say that man's a Christian. It doesn't matter if... If you're a DUP, it doesn't matter if you're a free Presbyterian. It matters whether or not you're a child of God. That's right. My testimony wasn't that. My testimony was, oh, I would argue black as white. I would argue I would take on every single other person in the year. I would argue on behalf of the free church. I would argue on behalf of the DUP and the stand they were taking. But I never once argued on behalf of Christ. That's my shame. I remember, I don't know if there is these up around the Belfast area, but down in and around the Triangle area, Korean, Port Stewart, Port Rush, Even to this day, there's a thing called a Christian disco. place there in Corian called Exodus. And I remember when it was open, and as I got into fourth year and fifth year, many of my year would go along to that Presbyterian Church of Ireland, Methodist, Baptist, whatever denomination, they were all rushing there the Saturday night. And they called this, yes, it's a disco, but it's a Christian disco. What's the difference? Well, they said, well, there's no alcohol. Quarter to twelve on a Saturday night, the music will stop. Somebody will then have a brief word, and then everybody will be out the door by twelve o'clock. I honestly don't know how you can go from having pumping, dancing music in your head to suddenly silence and focusing on God's word for fifteen minutes then out the door. And I remember arguing with them, and yet, here was my greatest problem. I had backslid so badly I would stopped reading my Bible. I couldn't quote a word of scripture from the book. I was arguing with them. I was saying it was wrong. And they said, well, prove it. I couldn't. I didn't know one verse. I couldn't give them Matthew 6 and 25 or 24. No man can serve two masters. He cannot serve God and mammon. You're either in the world or you're off the world. That was my days in grammar school. I started slipping and further and further the, the language had started coming out of my mouth. I remember in my time and as I got up, fourth year, fifth year, Clock Mills has never been a big church. I think the highest the numbers ever got in my time anyway, in my life I think we, we peaked in around 70. But our numbers have always been around 40s, 50s. But our youth work has always been very small. And sadly, there there hasn't been one in a good number of years. <coughs> but I remember many, many times having arguments with my father. There would have been four out of the Omorod family at the youth fellowship. Maybe only two or three others out of the whole church. So there's... Over 50% of the youth fellowship from one family. And I remember arguing with my father. It's boring. Why would I want to go to a place where I'm just looking at the rest of my family? Why would I want to go anywhere like that? It's so boring. There's other youth fellowships. And look, they've 20, they've 30. Let me tell you, it's not about numbers. It's about whether or not you're meeting with the, the Lord of the house. And if there's only two people in your youth fellowship and Christ is there like he has promised where two or three are gathered together in my name there I will be in the midst. It doesn't matter in numbers young person I say that to you especially. Oh you can have a youth fellowship with 50 and yet you can never experience the blessing of the Lord. You can have five, you can have three, you can have two you can have just you and the minister even sitting in a room studying God's word, and God come down. And God bless. I remember when I got to that age of 17, and with my birthday being in around Christmas, other ones in my year, they got their driving license quicker than I did. And Sunday nights, immediately after the meeting, I'd get straight home. My mum would drive me home I was straight up the stairs, the suit off, thrown into the wardrobe, t shirt on, jeans on, trainers on. And I had a car waiting at the front door to pick me up. And we were way down the port. Down Port Stewart, Port Rush, cruising around, dance music blasting out of the car. You know, even in those times, I can look back and I can see yes, I was feeling the Lord, but I can see the Lord still. He had never left me.
0: Amen.
1: You know, all the ones that I used to hang around with, there was a group of four of us. Every Sunday night they would stop at some stage in the evening and either go into the chippy or go into the garage and get a load of food. I never once could get out of that car and go in and buy anything. And there was nights I was starving. But the Lord, and I had to be the Lord because it wasn't me, the Lord would stop me from getting out of that car. Oh yes, I was failing him in so many ways. I was letting him down. I was there desecrating and ruining his day. But yet the Lord was still watching over me. You know, as I got into sixth year, 2003, the Lord started moving. The Lord started dealing once again. I remember, as I said, those group of friends. There was four of us that hung around. There was one in particular. I, I would never have imagined him getting saved. And his arguments with me, whenever it came to the Bible, he used to simply say, "Talking donkey." He says that proves it all. How can it be true? How can a donkey talk? There was a meeting in the autumn 2003 in Bullamoney Congregation. My father was giving his testimony. There that night, that young man by the name of Kyle got saved. I couldn't believe it. A man who had absolutely no interest in God or in the word of God. And yet that night, my father had the joy of leading him to the Lord. The Friday of that same week, just a few days into his Christian life we were up at the Odyssey and we were messing about as it were and I remember that he swore I turned around and I says Kyle you shouldn't be doing that you're a Christian quick as I he turned around and says what are you talking about he says sure you're a Christian you do it all the time what a testimony I had The people looked and said oh this man's meant to be a minister's son this man's meant to be a free Presbyterian And if his mouth is allowed to come out with stuff like that, well then obviously it's okay. Brethren and sisters, remember people are watching and listening to you every single place you go. In your workplace, in your school, those around you when they know that you're a child of God, they will be watching you and they will be listening. And they will be taking heed as to what your life is. I remember after that in September of 2004 I met a young girl by the name of Alex. And she got saved in the summer of 2004 and we started dating. And I remember she or I was going with her. I asked her out. She said yes. One day later I got a text from her saying we need to talk. And I was like, am I about to break my record here for the shortest relationship possible? And I met with her and she simply said this. She says, have you prayed about this relationship? Is this what the Lord is leading you to or not? You know, that really struck me. It struck me in such a way I was so embarrassed number one, I was so ashamed, young girl, barely saved, starting out in a Christian life and yet here was I living my life in such a way that it had to be regarded as a mess, without a care to ever pray, to ever seek the Lord. Or to ever read his word. I cried on to the Lord and I rejoiced that he is married to the backslider.
0: Amen.
1: The Lord took me back. There's times I've failed him, yes, but he's never failed me. Amen. I finished my schooling days. I thought 14 years in school was enough, so I never went to uni. I decided it was time to get out and earn some money. From April 2005, I started into the employment of borehole drilling. In case you're wondering what on earth is borehole drilling, it's digging holes in the ground and getting very dirty and taking very dirty clothes to either home, to either your mother or to your wife. That's the simplest way of putting it. I went all over Ireland for just over nine years. Times were good, and then obviously the recession came along. Times were not so good. But in those years, and I remember, it was I started April 2005, May 2006. My boss came to me, and my boss knew, I was a Christian, my boss knew of my standing. And he came to me and he says, tell me this, he says, we have a couple of jobs coming up on the Sunday. Would you work then? I said, no way. He said, right. He says, there's a couple of jobs coming up down south. And usually whenever you went down south, you went down early in the Monday morning, you came back late the Friday night. But sometimes if the job was right down at the very bottom in Cork, the guys would have stayed over the weekend and then got home earlier the next week. And he says to me, well, would you go down and stay over the weekend? and work this Saturday, but you can just stay in the hotel, sure, on the Sunday and then work the Monday. I said, absolutely not. I said, the only way I'll do that is if you boss eight children downtown, teach them Sunday school. You know, after that, he never, ever asked me to work a Sabbath again. In those times of recession, those times whenever companies were laying off employees, yes, my boss laid off employees. But the Lord, in all those times, the Lord never, ever failed. <coughs> let me tell you this, let me encourage you and say this to those in the workplace. Unless you're in a job of absolute necessity to work the Sabbath day, you know those jobs, hospitals, those emergency services where you have to, it's a necessity to work on the Sabbath. If you're in a normal, as it were, weekly job and your boss comes and starts putting pressure on you asking you and seeking you to work on the Sabbath day say no from the very start and never ever move from that. My company which I worked was full of ungodly people. I mean ungodly people. There was a young man, was he only started with this he gets saved very early into his time. He attends the Church of God down in Balaamuni. Man, I've seen a, a remarkable difference in his life. And he was asked to work a Sunday, and I remember pleading with him. It was just before I left to start into my college days. And I pleaded with him. I says, don't do it. I says, you do it once. The boss has you. I says, remember, you're a child of God. You know, he worked it. You know, the boss has that now that if there's a Sunday work and he needs boys to fill in. Yes, there's other ones who are unsaved, but he has also that young man as well. Remember the words of the Lord. First Samuel 2 and verse 30 Them that honour me, I will honour. You take your stand for the Lord, the Lord will never fail you. You take your stand for the Lord, for his laws that you will find from Genesis right through to Revelation. You look at the commandments. You look at all of the different commands that the Lord lays down for our lives. And you adhere to them and you live for the Lord. The Lord will honor you. And he'll never fail you. And yes, times are hard. There are times, I remember, whenever the work was so short and yet the Lord brought in other work. My father-in-law needed a hand, so I went and worked for him. And it wasn't where I expected it to come from, but yet the Lord undertakes and he provides each and every time. Now I had the privilege, up until I went into college, of teaching in Sunday school. I've had the privilege to help out in the children's work, even to this day. Then as time went on, You could say in a way that things started to move from that time of blessing as it were into times of trial. Remember child of God there will always be trials in our lives. Always be trials. I remember Christmas 2011 was one particular trial. I remember spending parts of that Christmas period Sitting around the bedside of my grandmother, I only ever really knew the one set of grandparents. My grand Omerod, he died before my mum and dad were even married. My granny Omerod, she died when I was very young. I never knew any of them in that side of the family. But my granny and grandpa begs, Christmas 2011, we spent that time sitting around the bedside there in the Ulster Hospital with my grandmother. She passed away on the 3rd of January. Eight days later, my Granda passed away. Last night of the, of the week, just the day before Granny was to be buried, he suffered a stroke as big as, as possible for a person to suffer, they said. And he died just eight days apart, the 3rd of January, and then Granda died at 11. Now, that was hard enough, I have to say, losing that one set of grandparents, because everyone knows how special grandparents are, to lose that set Then came May 2013. As I think upon that time, I can see nothing but the hand of God all over it. As I said, my job, it took me all over Ireland. And the two weeks leading up to the 21st of May, I was drilling up a mountain outside of Newry, near Meath Road out of Newry. And that mountain was in such a way that we had to get a digger in to dig a track to get the rig up to the top of the hill. The ground and the terrain was such that we had to either pick up at the bottom and climb up every morning and then walk back down if it was wet to get our lunch and up and down. And so where I live in Bollamone, in a normal day's traffic, it would take two hours getting through <coughs> all the traffic. It took us about 20 minutes walking to the top of that mountain and down So roughly you could say I was two and a half hours from home. I was there the week before. I was there that week and then Tuesday the 21st of May my wife was having her uh, 21 week scan on our second child. And so the boss had said to me, he says there's no point you going to Newry because your appointment's around midday, I think it was 11 or 12 o'clock. He said, sure, just come into the yard in the morning, do a bit, go to your appointment with your wife and then just come back to the yard and we'll we'll just do a bit of stuff around the yard. So instead of being two and a half hours from home, I was actually only ten minutes from home. I remember we went to the scan and we got that good news, everything was well, the baby was growing, we found out we were having another son, second boy, I went back to the yard. My wife, she went to my mum's house. Mum was minding our eldest boy that day. And then, as my wife got to the house, phone calls started coming through about Dad in England. I remember my wife phoning me and she just simply said, she says, you need to get over to the house as quick as possible. She says, your dad's been in a bad accident. We don't know what's going on. We haven't heard. Nothing definite's coming through. You better get over. So I left the yard I was at my mum's house. Now I can remember driving over, I can remember even the exact point in the road where I started thinking, Dad's going to be alright. I remember even thinking in my head what I was going to say to him when I seen him for his bad driving. If he's been in an accident, what on earth was he doing in the roads? I had it in my head, I knew exactly what I was going to say to him but, and then I got through the door. I got into my mum's house and just as I got through the door, the phone call came with confirmation from the police that dad was dead. You know, what a wonderful way to go, but driving down the road, three sisters in the car, Sing singing How Great Thou Art. Okay. Sing it one second, the next second you're, singing, you're looking straight at the one you're singing about. Aye. He didn't suffer any pain. The Lord took him the Lord was gracious, there was no other cars. In the accident, all three of the sisters were minor injuries. You know, for the next ten days, it took ten days. Uh, obviously in England, things are different from what they are here. By the time the post-mortem and all of the different paperwork was filled out, it was ten days before Dad's body came home. <coughs> I remember many people in those days... Minister, call it, ministerial colleagues of my father's, many many friends, many people from our diff, different congregations family members all coming down spending time with us as a family I can remember many of those people as they came they, yes there was that grief there was that sadness but yet there was that wonderful peace
0: mm-hmm.
1: to know that it was well with my Father to know that he's home in glory I remember one question that was constantly being asked was this how on earth do people that have no peace in their own heart have no assurance when those loved ones die how do they get through times of bereavement without the Lord I have to simply say I have no idea because without the Lord I have nothing No, the Lord gave us such wonderful grace at that time I'll share just one instance of it I remember whenever that news came through my eldest boy at the time he was only four whenever those phone calls started coming through he was very quickly bundled into the living room cartoons were put on and he was as it were he was left for a while I remember going in and sitting him, lifting him, sitting him on my knee and just telling him his grand is in heaven. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't see him for a very long time until the Lord took Judah home too. You know, that was one of those things whenever Judah was saved at the tender age of four. I can still remember him phoning dad to this day and dad rejoicing down the phone with him. But I remember, I think it was the next night, there was, different ones were down and we were. there was, as it were, that lull in the house. We were trying to get a bite to eat and he says to Judah, Do you want to say grace? And his grace, or, sorry, let me rewind a bit, the night before his prayers. His prayers at bedtime that night were, Dear God, You've now taken my granny and granda bags. You've now taken my grand almirad. How is this fair? Amen. And that was him. Yeah. He never said a thing to him. Mm. Next night at grace, he said grace, and he simply said this: "Lord, thank you for taking granda home. That's a four-year-old child. That's the grace of God."
0: Amen.
1: I'm not picking my son up saying he's some amazing child. No. He's just a normal child but the grace of God and his life that could give him that wonderful peace that it is well with his granda. Yeah. and he's home in glory. No dad's body came home and, and that time of funeral and everything took place. Let me say I'm not making out as if my Loss in my family is any greater than what you've maybe experienced in your family when your loved ones have passed. I know grief to every single person. That loss of loved ones is very, very acute. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I know that the people say, oh, you'll get over it and time's a great healer. I know for a fact time does not heal nothing. We learn to get by. That's right. And that's when you look to the Lord to get you by. Let me just briefly say how I ended up in the Whitfield College. I can honestly say it was never ever my intention to be standing in this uniform. I remember people said to me before Dad died after Dad died, sure would you never go into college? I said absolutely not. I couldn't afford that. The drilling in a way it was was good. Apart from the recession years, things were good. I was able to get a house. Things were going well. We had the children and everything, as it were, was secure. I can remember even in December 2013, we were over with friends for a Christmas dinner a couple of days before Christmas, and the man of the house he said to me, "Sure, would you not go into the college?" I said, "No way. I says, I couldn't afford that of a second child in the way." I just couldn't afford Our second child just been born. I said, I couldn't afford to go into the college. <clears throat> now, I remember in the months after dad had passed, the different men, and obviously during a time of vacancy, there's many different preachers come to the pulpit. In the months especially after dad had passed, there was an awful lot of students came through, uh, Clock Mills preaching, and those that came to the house needing the meal. Brought them down to the house, and I remember over dinner. I remember one question I made sure I asked every single student was, "How were you called?" <gasps>
0: you
1: now the wonderful thing is, there was not two stories the same. The Lord calls very uniquely to each person. That's right. I was called by the Lord in January 2014 in a place called the Bogside, up in Londonderry. I was up there drilling, just back to work. One of the things, whenever you're drilling, you have to, as it were, inspect all of the soils and everything coming up out of the ground, and you have to write a little log, as it were, a report of what you're finding at different depths. I'll not bore you with all of the details, but it's one of the things you have to do. And I remember sitting there on my knees and just studying the soils and marking and writing, and I simply sat back on my knees and said, this is not what the Lord has for me. This isn't it. I remember from that moment I thought that for the next two weeks, morning, noon, and night, all I could think about was Whitfield College of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get out of my head. One of the things my father always said to any man going for the college, and I remember him saying it, Within my earshot many times, never ever go to the Wetfield College unless you know the Lord has called you there, and unless you can stand in a verse of Scripture saying this is the verse the Lord has called me with. Amen. So I remember after that time the box. said, next two weeks, all of those thoughts going through Wetfield College constantly, morning, noon, and night. I was reading eight chapters a night looking for this verse. I had no idea what the verse was meant to look like. <laughs> I was sitting there reading eight chapters a night. I even read in Romans about how shall I hear without a preacher. And I read it and went, nothing. And I had no idea what or how. Was this just a human emotion? Was this something in my mind? Or was this the Lord? I phoned the <coughs> Reverend Lyndon. And I says to him, I says, brother, I need to talk to you. I didn't tell him what it was about. And he says, well, sure, come on over. So I went over that night. I spent two hours with him and as I was leaving, he prayed and he said these words. He says, Lord, if you're calling this young man into the ministry, he says, give him a verse with the word go in it. So he knows you're calling him. Just very simple. I went home that night and my little devotion for that day was Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Amen. I remember underneath it, that little paragraph of writing, it said at the top of it, it said, First things first, just go. <laughs> and I can remember that night I was sitting in my bed. And obviously I talked to my wife, and those was a couple of weeks before. And I remember just simply nudging her, and I says, I've got it. And that feeling of joy, that feeling of, relief, that burden as it were off my shoulders and that excitement that came over me well, I couldn't have manufactured that to know that the Lord's will was being done and the Lord's call was so clear now, he gave me wonderful verses of confirmation after that and then I remember praying and I says Lord, I, says, I know you've called me but I want a verse now that you'll keep me you'll get me through four years, leaving the job, having a mortgage, everything else. My wife at that time, she was still off on maternity leave from our first child, or our second child, sorry. And obviously with all of the different finances and walking away from the job, I says, Lord, I need a verse that I know you'll get me through academically. (coughs) I know you'll get us through as a family financially and everything else that comes with the family. Reverend Abernethy was, at that time, was our intermoderate. He was taking a prayer meeting and he was preaching from Isaiah 42, the verses 1 to 3. And I will be honest tonight and I will say I don't remember one thing he preached. Because there was a verse 6 in that chapter which jumped out of the pages It were at me and caught my eye and I couldn't get away from it. It says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine an hand and will keep thee. Now I can stand here tonight and testify as I come to the end of my third year in college. The Lord has held my hand every single step of the way. Amen. Thank you,
0: Lord.
1: The Lord has brought me through exam after exam, and I certainly was never an academic. My mother used to almost pull her hair out whenever it came to exam time at school. Anytime she came come to the bedroom when I was meant to be studying for my exams, I was always doing something else. And I always told her the same thing, I'm on a break. <laughs> I've been studying hard, it's now break time and she came to the conclusion that I did five minutes of work and 30 minutes of break every single time. I am no academic. I can remember actually in the cri- first year Christmas exams we went back after Christmas and the lecturers were bringing us the results and some of them were more gracious than others. Some take you into a room quietly and tell you a result. One of the men who was bringing his results he stood up at the front of the class and he said and he went through the from top and he was working his way down and he was working his way down and he was eventually going to come to me and he came to me and he says how long is it since you were in school and I says about 10 years and he looked down again and he goes i can see that <laughs> the lord has stood by me every single step <coughs> of the way the lord has been so gracious and so wonderful the Lord has kept me every single step. Oh, I feel them. I'm not perfect. Even since I went into college, I'm not perfect and I have not been perfect. But the Lord is perfect. Amen. And his grace, that grace which is sufficient, that grace by which even our text said tonight, we are saved through faith. I'm not saved because of my family or who my father was. I'm not saved because of my church attendance. I'm not saved because of anything other than the faith that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and what he did for me upon Calvary. Now to think of those times and even that opening hymn once again, the thing of the Lord standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that cup of God's wrath right there in front of them. And that cup filled with the sins. And my sins are in that cup. Oh, what grace. I want to ask you tonight as I close, can you say and can you testify of the grace of God in your life? And you say with that assurance, He is my Lord and He is my Saviour. You say I'm saved by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Now, my life my life's history. My life's his story. Yes. It's not about me, it's about what Christ has done. In me. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. Thank you very much.
0: Well, folks, it's been a tremendous meeting. Great sense of the Lord's presence. And we do thank you very much, Timothy, for all that you've shared with us this evening. Just reinforces what we were saying this morning. Remember from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, And so doth Marketh my son. Marcus, who was the follower, got saved as a young man, and yet failed the Lord. And yet, that young man who failed the Lord was greatly restored, and was useful and profitable to men like Paul, and to men like Peter. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, we'd love to point you to Christ. If you're here as a backslider, we'd love to speak to you. Come and talk to us. I think of those words of C.T. Studd, just as Timothy closed, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Living for Christ. Loving Christ, learning from Christ, being loyal to Christ. That's what the Christian life is all about.